Chapter 90 of The Wild Huntress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 90 Protector and Protege. The incident referred to was the arrival of a scout who, after the conflict, had followed upon the trail of the Arapahoes. This man brought the intelligence that the scattered enemy had again collected that, while fleeing from the route, they had met with a larger war party of their own tribe, accompanied by another of their allies, the Cheyennes, that both together formed a band of several hundred warriors, and that they were now marching back towards the valley of the Harafano to take revenge for the death of Red Hand, and the defeat which his party had sustained. This unexpected news brought the scalp dance to an abrupt termination, and changed the whole aspect of the scene. The women, with loud cries, rushed towards their horses, with the intention of betaking themselves to a place of security, while the warriors looked to their arms, determined to make a stand against the approaching foe. It was not expected that the enemy would make their attack at once, certainly not before night, and perhaps not for days. The preparations to receive them were therefore entered upon with all the coolness and deliberation that attack or defense might require. The encounter eventually came off, but it was only afterwards that I learnt the result. The Utahs were again victorious. Wakara in this affair had given another proof of his strategic talent. He had made them stand by the butt, but with only half of his warriors, distributed in such a manner as to appear like the whole band. These, with their rifles, could easily defend the mound against the arrows of the enemy, and did so during an assault that lasted for several hours. Meanwhile, the other half of his band had been posted upon the bluffs, hidden among the cedars, and, descending in the night, they had stolen unexpectedly upon the allied forces, and attacked them in the rear. A concerted sortie from the mound had produced complete confusion in the ranks of their enemies, and the Utahs not only obtained a victory, but hair sufficient to keep them scalp-dancing for a month. As I have said, it was afterwards that these facts came to my knowledge. I have here introduced them to show that we could no longer depend on any contingent intervention on the part of the Utah chief, and we were therefore the more keenly conscious that we should have to rely upon our own resources. The Utahs showed no wish to detain us. They felt confident in their own strength and in the fire weapons which they well knew how to use, and, after thanking the friendly chief for the great service he had rendered us, and confiding our wounded comrade to his care, we parted from him without further ceremony. I witnessed not his parting with Marion. Between them there was an interview, but of what nature I could not tell. The huntress had stayed behind, and the rest having ridden forward, no one of us was present at the parting scene. There may have been a promise that they should meet again, for that was expected by all of us, but whether there was, or what may have been the feelings of the Indian at parting with his pale-faced protege, I was not to know. It was difficult to believe that the young chief could have looked so long on that face, so beautifully fair, without conceiving a passion for its possessor. It was equally difficult to believe that if this passion existed, 
he would have thus surrendered her to the arms of another. An act so disinterested would have proved him noble indeed. The Rolla of the North. If the passion really did exist, I knew there could be no reciprocity. As Marion galloped up and gazed in the eyes of the handsome hunter, now entirely her own, her ardent glance toward the Wingrove was the proud possessor of that magnificent maiden. In volunteering to be one of our party, Marion was submitting herself to a fearful risk. That of the rest of us was trifling in comparison. In reality, we risked nothing further than the failure of our plans, and a certain punishment if taken in the act of abduction. But even for this, the saints would scarcely demand our lives, unless in hot blood we should be slain upon the instant. Her position was entirely different. The Mormon apostle, whether false husband or real, could and would claim her. There was no law in that land, at all events, no power, to hinder him from acting as he should please. And it was easy to foresee what would be his apostolic pleasure. The very presence of Wingrove would stimulate him to a revengeful course, and should her Indian disguise be detected, Marion might look forward to a fate already deemed by her worse than death. She was sensible of all this, but it did not turn her from her determination. Her tender affection for Lillian, her earnest desire to save her sister from the peril too plainly impending, rendered her reckless about her own, and the bold girl had formed the resolution to dare everything." trusting to chance and her own strong will for the successful accomplishment of our purpose. I no longer attempted to dissuade her against going with us. How could I? Without her aid, my own efforts might prove idle and fruitless. Lillian might not listen to me. Perhaps that secret influence on which I had so confidently calculated might exist only in a diminished degree. Perhaps it might be gone forever." strange to say, though I had drawn some sweet inferences from those neglected flowers. Every time the bouquet came back to my memory, it produced a palpable feeling of pain. He who so cunningly sued might hope for some measure of success, and she so sweetly solicited, more dangerous than if boldly beset, had her heart withstood the sapping of such a crafty besieger my influence might indeed be gone, or, if a remnant of it still existed, it might not turn the scale against that of her father, that fearful father. What should he care for one child, who had already abated another to her shame? Possessed by these thoughts, then I tried not to turn to Marion for her purpose. On the contrary, I rather encouraged it, on her influence with Lillian, I had now placed my chief reliance. Without that, I should have been almost deprived of hope. It might turn out that Lillian no longer loved me. Time or absence might have inverted the stylus upon the tender page of her young heart, and some other image may have become impressed upon its yielding tablet. If so, my own would sorely grieve, but... Even if so, I would not that hers should be corrupted. She must not be the victim of a villain, if my hand could hinder it. No, Lillian, 
though loved and lost i shall not add to the bitterness of your betrayal my cup of grace will possess sufficient acerbity without mingling with it the gale of revenge End of chapter